When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You've seen convictions. Paul Manafort getting convicted. Remember, the Trump Organization is switching to an international posture. Mueller has said that he will expand the probe to Trump business transactions. The way Trump conducted his business and the way Michael Cohen conducted their business is truly shocking, truly disturbing, potentially truly illegal. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So a new season of Ozark is back on Netflix. And in its honor, we're talking about money laundering. Wait, in its honor? No, we're talking about money laundering because it's the most interesting topic in the world. And it's the phenomenon that links the corrupt world, whose poster child is Russia, with the uncorrupt one, whose poster child is the United States of America. Okay, whose former poster child is the United States of America. (sighs) President Trump stands at that juncture himself, which means the White House is at the crossroads, a way station between corruption and its opposite, even a laundromat for the Kremlin's misdeeds, which Trump turns around and sells to the American people as opportunities to have good, clean, patriotic fun, like supporting the NRA, owning the libs, and flaunting the racism. But if Trump is a corrupt broker here, the capo, according to my guest, Anthony Cormier of BuzzFeed News, is, of course, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, pay close attention to this episode. Anthony calls Putin Vova, the nickname Putin is said to detest the most. Rumor has it Putin once killed a man for calling him Vova, but today all roads lead to Vova, as you'll see by the show's end. I'll be back with Anthony Cormier and the latest in the Trump-Russia follow the money trail. But first, the tweets. Three thousand people did not die in the two hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico. When I left the island after the storm had hit, they had anywhere from six to eighteen deaths. As time went by, it did not go up by much. Then a long time later, they started to report really large numbers, like three thousand. This was done by the Democrats in order to make me look bad as possible when I was successfully raising billions of dollars to help rebuild Puerto Rico. If a person died for any reason, like old age, just add them on to the list. Bad politics. I love Puerto Rico. The Wall Street Journal has it wrong. We're under no pressure to make a deal with China. They're under pressure to make a deal with us. Our markets are surging. Theirs are collapsing. We will soon be taking in billions in tariffs and making products at home. If we meet, we meet. More text messages between former FBI employees Peter Strzok and Lisa Page are a disaster and embarrassment to the FBI and the DOJ. This should never have happened, but we are learning more and more by the hour. Quote, others were leaking like mad. 
close quote, in order to get to the president. Joining me on the line is Anthony Cormier. He's a senior investigative reporter at BuzzFeed News, and he's been on the money trail. His piece in late August detailed the suspicious transactions made by Russian diplomats, including Sergei Kislyak. We'll get to that later on the show. But this week, he and Jason Leopold are back with more funny money. This time, after that famous June 2016 Trump Tower meeting with Kremlin-linked Carnies. This is truly home base for Trumpcast. Welcome back, Anthony. Thanks for having me again. Um, so once again, you guys, I gotta think of a better word than bombshell or at least something new. Hey, how about a buzz shell? <laughs> you <laughs> Ben Smith would love that. <laughs> you and Jason Leopold at BuzzFeed News have dropped another buzz shell and you're doggedly following the money. Talk walk me through this piece, the recent discoveries you and Jason have made. So right, we you know, like you said, we made a we made a conscious decision about a year ago to you know ignore a lot of the noise and just simply fo- focus on follow their their money. Right? Yeah. We just want to know how they spend their money because uh, those close to the investigation tell us that they want to know whether this money's used in any way to aid the interference in the 2016 election. But we've made uh, we've had previous stories about the matter, but this one is interesting because it's sort of opens up a, a broader look into this very opaque and secretive world of offshore companies and secret bank accounts and Swiss banks and offshore havens. It's a, it's a very murky, complicated world, but most of it centers on Aris Aguilarum, the billionaire real estate developer, a friend to the Kremlin, a well-known uh, associate or at least a pal of, of actually Vladimir Putin. I want to clear up a, qu- a quick question about Aris uh, Agalarov, whose name, I guess, first surfaced for many of us in- when the-, the news broke of the Trump Tower meeting in 2016. His son, Eamon, is a minor pop star, at least has a vanity project as the- a billionaire's son pop star. And he grew up in Tenafly, New Jersey. So, for sure. Right? Weird, right? So, so you've got this. Yeah. So, so here's what's interesting about this family is, Aris is Azerbaijan, right? He, their, their whole operation, this billion-dollar real estate company, is based in Russia. They do massive, important real estate developments, construction c- projects in Russia, except Aris lives in Alpine, New Jersey. His son, Emin, the part-time, as one does, pop star, grew up, went to high school in Tenafly. He's got a house in Demarest. And interestingly enough, this was a sort of point that investigators have have, have been, you know, stuck on, many of their businesses are registered or located at a rather nondescript office park with a wood door and no windows and a heavy lock in New Jersey. Hmm. And for example, they've got, they've got millions of dollars running into accounts belonging to businesses registered at this really small office. And when you go and you knock on the door, as many journalists have, there is, they will not open it, and a disembodied, gruff voice from behind the door won't open, won't take your questions, won't even take your business card. It's a very unusual spot for a billionaire from Russia to be connected to. It's no one seems to understand why all of these businesses are located here. There's probably a, a very reasonable reason for this, a very sort of 
answer that, that I just don't understand and they won't give me. I don't want to cast aspersions at all, but it's a very strange setup for them to be located and doing business in Russia and have all of these ties to this small office plaza across the Hudson River. The, the fancy, the fancy highest level in the world crimes that are, you know, being discussed, conspiracy to defraud the United States, treason, um, keep funneling down to like taxi medallions and office parks and like scurvy stuff you would see in the low-level mafia movies, Sopranos and so on. Surprising. And we're back to northern New Jersey, home of the Sopranos, also home of the Kushners. Yes, it is. <laughs> not, not terribly far, although there's no at least there's no indication on my end that um, the Aguilarovs are, are in any way close to the Kushners, although they are certainly close to Donald Trump, right? As yeah. part of Aguilarov's Aguilar massive uh, construction empire or real estate empire, he builds this huge mega mall with a convention center outside of Moscow, and that's where in 2013 he hosts Miss Universe. He hosts President Trump, and there are you know all of the sort of bit players in this Trump Tower meeting. They, they, they emerge in 2013 as pals and partners, and they tour Moscow, and they're going to build this gleaming tower. Fast forward to 2016, and there in the summer is the meeting. There is Rob Goldstone, who is Emin Egalarov, the son, the pop star. Yep. It's his PR person. There's Ike Kavaladze. Ike Kavaladze is a longtime associate, a partner of, actually employee of Eris Egalarov. And these are the two that are pushing on the front end to get this meeting done. Of course, we all know, as the New York Times and others have brilliantly reported, there's the June 9 meeting, which then brings us to our reporting. So 11 days after this meeting, this infamous get-together in which the U.S., the Russian government wanted to pass information to the Trump campaign, 11 days afterward, Aris Aguilar, a billionaire real estate developer, uses a company in the British Virgin Islands that he controls. His business for Ireland, as everyone knows, is an offshore haven. He uses this rather obscure company to wire himself $19.5 million. That money winds up in the U.S. in his own account. There's no known, as they say, legal or business purpose for this money. It's not stated in the wire transfer. Mm -hmm. same, the same day, he takes a much smaller amount, about $43,000. dollars mm -hmm sends it to himself again at a J.P. Morgan account in New York. Both of these transactions happen through a bank in Switzerland. And as many of us know, Switzerland has notoriously secretive banking law. And the account actually is closed. The, the account closes shortly after this transaction. Mm -hmm. so, U.S. law enforcement investigators, as part of the sweeping Trump-Russia inquiry, ask banks to go back through their files and look at everybody involved. And that's everyone from... The Kushners to the Kislyak to the Russian embassy to Paul Manafort. Everybody who has even a remote sort of twinkle in their eyes, so to speak. Round up the usual suspects. Uh, everybody gets everybody gets the same sort of exam. And in the in America, there's a bank. They see the nineteen and a half million dollar transaction and the forty three thousand dollar transaction, and they're like, "Huh, that's unusual." We don't know what it means. I'm not saying it's suspicious. The banks are. But but wait, I'm sorry. They, they're designating the some of these suspicious financial transactions. They're designating them suspicious. But retroactively, why doesn't this set off alarms at the time? Well, that's a wholly different project that we fully intend on doing. And whenever this, this craziness ends, yeah, it's a great it's a great question. 
why are banks only flagging this stuff on the back end? Why are they not accountable? Why don't they know what's going on in their coffers, in their accounts, in the moment, right? They've got teams of people that do this professionally, and I'm not, I'm not calling them out right now, but that's a good question. Why weren't you aware of this? Why did it take the FBI or the IRS to come to you to say, hey, we'd like to know what these guys were up to? You should have flagged this as suspicious when it happened. It hits a lot of the marks. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's nefarious. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. But it is, it does hit the normal red flags that they would normally see. So I'd like to see I some, know, I, w- I know broken windows is being retired in the cities, but I'd like to see broken windows happen with financial crimes, which is when yeah. people are wiring big amounts of money from the British Virgin Islands, when they are paying for stuff in cat, big giant purchases like, like condos in cash through shell companies. That's like, you know, that's like someone jumping the turnstiles. Give them a you ticket. Know, think, Something else is up. We've heard from, you know, this is sort of a burning question among some of you know, our sources. And it, it, it's like, we were so focused, American banks were so focused on terrorism. Yeah. We sort of turned a blind eye for many, many years to what was really rampant and blatant money laundering, yep. particularly, as you said, through the U.S. Uh, real estate markets. Mm-hmm. And we've seen new laws that require... Um, further disclosures, but what we're seeing now are are bankers awakening to the notion that, oh boy, we were a conduit to a lot of this. And um, there's going to be a reckoning, I think, for them when this is all said and done. Mm -hmm. They've They've got to account for their, their behavior. It's a, it's a big burning question that I think we're going to see, you know, we'll see U.S. law enforcement hopefully pivot toward it. I I think Jesse Eisner at ProPublica, he's been sort of my, hero when it comes to the lack of white-collar crime prosecution. He's yes. Got a great book. It's called Chicken Chick Club. You should go buy it. Jesse's amazing. But he has been hammering this, beating this drum for a long time. And what we're seeing is sort of an extension of that. Why were banks aware? Why are we not learning about this in the moment? Why aren't you paying attention? Hmm. Why mm-hmm. are we asleep at the switch? Mm-hmm. That I could talk about with you all day. And and yet the other thing I could talk about with you all day is is Aris Aguilaroff and this latest discovery, latest discovery you all have made. So they moved money from both Russia and Switzerland through the British Virgin Islands. Through the British Virgin Islands and it winds up in America and no one knows what it's to be used for. We've asked, they've received the answer. That's mm-hmm. their prerogative. Mm-hmm. That's the first in a series of steps. This happens shortly after the actual meeting in June, long before the meeting becomes public. Then after Trump's surprising win, you'll have to remember that no one, not even himself, thought the fuck the thing was going to happen. And it did. Shortly after that, in November 22nd, there is a dormant bank account back to New Jersey that has been opened in 2012. And there's really no activity in it through, you know, 2015, 2016. Basically, an account that Emin and his two buddies from Tenafly, New Jersey, opened. They don't really know what they were using it for. In fact, they weren't using it for anything because it was dormant. But shortly after the election, it explodes with activity. And these are, in, in the parlance of bank examiners and, and investigators, these are high round dollar amounts, which means they're clean amounts, $15,000 even, $75,000 even. They begin to filter into this dormant account, and that's suspicious. Mm-hmm. Bankers are like, well, this the financial activity seems to have surged after the election of Donald Trump. Maybe we should check it out. Beyond that, there's further transactions. So the New Jersey account takes the money from Russia, 
and then it filters it to a third company, again based at this same office platform. This company's called Corsi International, okay. and it's controlled by Ike Cavalazze. Cavalazze was in Trump Tower for the meeting. He is one of the Aguilaro family's most trusted advisors. He's actually an employee. Mm-hmm. And many moons ago, in the early 2000s, he was investigated by Congress for money laundering. He was never charged. Called the whole thing a witch, a witch hunt. I don't want. He, he has never been accused of any wrongdoing, but he was investigated. And it's sort of worth noting that. Um, but he ends up with a significant portion of these funds from Russia. We don't really know what they were for. The attorney representing this group says completely normal. It's going from business account to business account. Investigators and our sources are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why does money hop around like this? Why does it go from one account to another to another? Why don't you just make the direct transaction? If it's payroll, pay payroll. If it's something else, do that. That's a red flag for them, and they don't, at the moment, know what happened. So Kavalazda is one of was one of the people in the June 2016 meeting. He is a vice president at Aguilaroff's company, Crocus Group. Crocus Group. Okay. He controls a number of businesses in the U.S. And he has also some music business something, right? So he's... Well, mm-hmm. he's got... He, he, uh, as far as we can tell, he is responsible for... His business is responsible for funding mm-hmm. another person in the meeting, Rob Goldstone, the brass uh, British public relations maven who used to be a journalist and is now Emin's number one spokespiece, spokesperson, right? He's the guy out there out front. Rob is the guy also who did the front-end work to set up the meeting with Junior. Rob was emailing him. Rob was uh, sort of setting all of this in motion. And so Cavalazzi's company ends up funding Rob's music company, and that's Uh. weird to investigators. Cavalazzi's company, on paper, is supposed to be in the import and export business. They, They don't understand why he's sending money to a PR, to a music PR company. That to them is like a, huh, what are you doing? Right. And music PR could be a laundering, could be a laundering mechanism. Nobody knows why. Yeah. Nobody really knows. Yeah. Nobody really knows why the the machinations are a little complicated. I think, um, I don't want to get over my skis, but I, but I think that that it's sort of all on the table. They want to know, particularly why does the money go from one account to another, to another? This is often in, again, in their parlance, a red flag for what's called layering. It's when you mm. take funds and you deposit them into multiple accounts to obscure the true beneficiary. Where did the money actually go? Well, it's difficult to tell because it makes a stop here and here and here. And, here. and so that's a, a way to stymie or to, to sort of become opaque. So whenever we get to the to the Rob Goldstones of the equation, the Chuck Blazers, the mm. the most carny people in the in the picture, Felix Sater, I think I cannot tell. It's like a duck rabbit problem whether this is this ice cold global syndicate connected to Swiss banks that is you know putting a thumb on the scale for authoritarian or Donald Trump. Or if it's a group of guys in a New Jersey office who just kind of got lucky, rolled the dice and got lucky. I mean, I, I just, I can't tell whether Kavalazda is some kind of brilliant mastermind or if he's a sort of Michael Cohen type. Well, there's a couple of ways to look at them. Um, they very clearly 
are successful. If your if your definition of success is the uh, amount of uh, commas in your bank account, yep. Um, and I also think they know how that this sort of global financial system works. Yeah. They know how they know how to obscure the source of funds and the recipient of funds. They they know how to play this game so that they you can't tell whose money it actually is and where it's being used. That does not mean this is me, my to be sure graph here. This does not mean that they have done anything illegal or wrong with it. Right. They're they lawyers. They're lawyers. And we're going to do the to be sure right now. Sure, sure, sure. Their lawyers have absolutely denied any wrongdoing and even said we're shocked, shocked you even care about this question. Is that right? Yeah, be, they said that to still, you. Be still my beating heart. How, would, <laughs> how dare you ask me about <laughs> my money? Right. Uh, and I actually quite like their attorney, Scott Palmer. He was he refuses to answer questions about the specific transactions, but does say, look, these are all pretty normal. These are all definitely normal, that this was just Mr. Aguilar moving money to his employees or to himself. There's nothing to see here. Move on. And in fact, he goes one step further to say that neither he nor his clients have been asked about any of these transactions. I would counter that by saying, you know what? The clients weren't weren't talking to the IRS or the FBI or the special counsel until after the banks made law enforcement aware of these transactions. So there's yeah. a little bit of there's a little bit of a, a narrative twist there. But no, I you know Scott again to be sure says these are all legitimate. But but to go back to Cavalazze, yes, he and the Aguilars are too smart to not know this is a way to obscure their the movement of their funds. They just, they just are. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it, but this is a part and parcel of a global system. So Sheldon Whitehouse, the senator, and Bill Browder, who've you know been on the show, often say that the, the, the sort of war on right now, a kind of cold war, like bi- bilateral war, is between the legitimate, what they call the legitimate world, which is still America so far. I mean, you know, we might be on our last legs, and the illegitimate world um, represented by authors of big violent crimes, but also the beneficiaries of those crimes who get the dirty money and then use the legitimate world to clean it. And then there are these figures in between, Paul Manafort, maybe Donald Trump, maybe Michael Cohen, who go a fair uh, distance toward making the legitimate America resemble the illegitimate, you know, Russia. And that is, that's very ominous. And I think that is like one of the huge stories, like tectonic stories you all from different angles have been calling attention to. Does that ring true? Right. I mean, it is, it is a site. It is a sort of seismic yeah. thing. It is the thing of our time. Right. And it, so here's the way it's our understanding that the criminal overlords and the bad actors in places like Russia, they cannot exist. They cannot launder their reputations and their money without the United States of America. They need our rule of law to safely deposit and clean off their cash. It's impossible. You can't run money through New York City real estate or a Miami Beach condominium, right, without having an assurance that that money's safe. Why would you just you'd rather just keep it in your uh, underneath your mattress in St. Petersburg, Russia, or whatever, right? Yep. But because it's so safe in the United States, we are the chosen body through which it comes. It's quite, you can see the same thing to a lesser extent in the UK. What's happening now, and what I fear, is there are these sort of gray actors Folks like Paul Manafort, who understand this game and they are pushing the United States further and further toward a a Russia model where 
not only are we going to launder it through the United States, but we're going to now, but American companies, American LLCs or, or shell corps or Delaware institutions, those companies are then going to be able to launder their money in the same way that Russians do. That's the big unexplained like world. That that world it, it exists. We know it. We've seen it. Uh, we saw it. We saw it in the Manafort trial. We saw it in our own Manafort reporting. We saw it again with Peter Smith. We've seen American shell companies, right, or American. Uh, obscured American companies begin to try to launder money in these ways, whether it's a cash deposit and then a withdrawal, or it's money through a, an overseas offshore entity and that winds up in the U.S. I, that's my great fear. Jason and I's sort of urgent reporting is in this gray area that exists in the United States, and the institutions are allowing it to to happen, and and uh, the players behind it. Uh, and I think that the Trump presidency is, if nothing else, a good example of that. It is a business empire where it is often quite difficult to tell where the money comes from and where it goes. And it's our job, you know, all journalists' job to sort of figure that out and answer it. It's going to be the American law enforcement system's job to prosecute. It's one thing to say, hey, these these transactions are suspicious. Well, yay, good for you. What are you going to do about it? Hey, I don't have a done in a badge and a subpoena. Let's do something about it. Yeah. So this is also where, uh, when you've been talking about the suspicious activity reports, you're talking about the Treasury Department's Financial Enforcement Network. Obviously, it's the Southern District that all in New York that also takes a, a, an intense interest in, in offshore crime and financial crimes. I'll just lay my cards on the table. I think SDNY has been way ahead on this. I'm not sure why that is. Um, well, SDNY views their jurisdiction as the entire world. Yes, yes, uh, exactly. Frankly, I mean, that's that whole, well, I'm not sure if it was pre or someone else, right? This yeah. It's a famous statement. Yep. Look, I mean, I, at, the, at the risk of lionizing people who during normal uh, days I would be investigating fiercely. Yeah. Uh, SDNY has some of the smartest individuals uh, in the game. They know that they know what's happening. They, like many others, have been sort of wrapped up in the terrorists. Like yeah, we are so focused on this that it's been difficult to break out. But I think if you look back uh, to the Prevazon case, I think that's a that's a good example of how the SDNY noticed a clear racket and went after it with full force. It's worth reviewing Prevazon because it involves sure. some of everyone's favorite characters, including you know my favorite Natalia Veselnitskaya, but also um, Glenn Simpson and um, and Bill Browder. So and, and this and June Rina, meeting, Rina Ekmechin. Yep, Rina Ekmechin is uh, is involved there too. Oh, you know, yes, Prevazon good point. is a case where it's like super clear that there is some um, the source of these funds are rather bad, shall we say? There's they're not clean. The money's not uh, not exactly clean. And what what the SDNY alleges, essentially, in a nutshell, is that um, some foreign actors were trying to clean that money off by running it through U.S. real estate, New York City real estate, to be to be frank. Um, yeah. Preet's office attempted to, for lack of a better word, grab this stuff. They tried to um, take it away from this group, and this giant court case, many hundreds of millions of dollars. You've got, very weirdly, you've got Bill Browder, who's wrapping himself in the flag. Sorry, Bill. Wrapping himself in the flag on, on one end. You've got, on the other end, you've got Glenn Simpson and Fusion and Veselnitskaya on the same sort of side. 
it's an entire messy affair, but it is a pretty good example of what happens when law enforcement gets involved. They, they put the clamps on this thing. They tried to shut it down. And I don't know what happened, frankly. Um, Wyatt, right. You know, Wyatt didn't go, they got a fine and it well, didn't really go anywhere. They got a small, basically small fine, right? And then Preet's gone. And if Preet, if you're listening, and I hope that you are, my reporters are trying diligently to reach you. Please return their email. Um, <laughs> this is the if Russia, if you're listening, like reverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah come on. 2018 version. We've got some stuff that we need We need to chat with you about, Preet. Just to also so, like close one loop. So Natalia Veselnitskaya was representing Prevazan and the oligarchs behind it. And also, of course, like the Russian government in her um, usual way. Mm-hmm. And um, she, so she was in town in New York to do that. Bill Browder was um, a witness for the prosecution, which is how he got to be pals with Preet. And so yeah. she was she was getting litigation support from Glenn Simpson and the enemy on the other side was Bill Browder. So she was sort of smearing Bill Browder. And the night before she the night before, sorry, the June 9th, 2016 meeting, she has dinner with Glenn Simpson and they're talking about the thorn in their side that is Bill Browder. And the next day, she goes to the meeting with, you know, the crew, the with Kushner and Manafort and Aguilera. Is Aguilera in the room? Yes. No. No, it's Ro- no Rob and Ike and Renan Akhmetian. Right. Okay. And says, um, and, and makes her pitch for why Bill Browder's public enemy number one. I'm saying this just because... Um, the way that the stories dovetail of oligarchs laundering their money and then somehow kind of getting away with it until it has these, you know, horrifying consequences for geopolitics when the American presidency is co-opted. You know, it's just, uh, it is the story of our time. It is. It is such an interesting turn of events, right? You've got, got this very obscure Russian money laundering case in the Southern District. And then you've got a meeting at Trump Tower. With the same exact yes. players. Yes. It's such an unusual moment, right? And then when you look sort of deeper at it, you see all of this sort of the financial web behind it that we reported yesterday. It's yeah. Like, none of this stuff is, is I don't think it's independent of one another. I, I, I don't think I'm off base by saying this stuff is all sort of interconnected. I don't think at the moment, like we see that for what it's worth. I don't, we're not, we're not at the 30,000 foot view yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that may, we, we may be talking in 20 years. We likely will about our understanding of these, of these sort of chain of events, but it's, it's beginning to co- become clear to us that this opaque global financial system is closely connected to not just the meeting, but perhaps Trump's ascendancy. Um, so you have also, and I know we have to wrap up because you have more money to follow. There's always more money yeah. for you and Jason to follow. Um, oh, hopping on a plane soon. Wow. All right. So, um, I, I don't, I don't want to guess yet what, where you're going, but, um, because you have speculated on this show and by the way, very gently with much hedging, but that there's a possibility that Trump is not the top of the investigation, that there may be figures bigger than Trump, you can probably, sure. you can probably remember that when you first said bigger than I Trump, yeah. right? I couldn't, I couldn't speak. There was like radio silence while I tried to figure out who's bigger than the American president. And uh, when you pointed me to Russian president Vladimir Putin, I had to um, admit that if he's the boss of our president, then he's 
higher than the president. So uh, partly by way, I think, of understanding where the lines from Americans like Paul Manafort lead up the chain to Yanukovych and so on, you have also dipped into a bunch of Russian diplomats, including, of course, Sergei Kislyak, but also the whole Russian cultural center in Washington. Um, Washington and New York, that's right. And New York. So, yeah. So are they part of this sort of racket that you've been describing? I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any way you can look at the way they handle their finances and not come away with serious questions about what they did with their money. We can go back to all the way to 2014, where uh, a group of military attaches are uh, receiving checks and then immediately cashing them out, out in the same exact uh, you know day and the same exact amounts. And then it ties exactly with a with a, a military movement in Ukraine. It's not just. I don't think it's just the embassy. I think it's this creeping system that is controlled by. I mean, I'm just going to say it, it's Vladimir Putin is the is the bigger fish. I think I'm, I'm not over. I, I, I think no offense to the president of the United States of America, but I think he's a small fish in a real big pond. And um, <laughs> I, have no I, I have no idea whether or not he's you know whether what happened, whether it was collusion. I'm not trying to say that. I love it when, okay, Anthony, I really, truly love it when my favorite, like, kid, knockabout kid from Florida starts saying no offense to the president of the United States. It's just, like, so bold. But there's someone over you pulling your strings. Um, Whatever. I do like that this world, I do like that all this has emboldened um, American citizens and voters and concerned citizens to to make big observations. Because you're right. It falls to us. Look, it's a it's a unique moment um, for all of us, uh, and I and I continue to believe that the that one of one piece of the most important story of our lifetimes is is money. Mm-hmm. And if if you're going to look at money globally, yeah, you got to look at Volvo. You got to find Volvo's cash. Yeah, that will explain how this all works. And come hell or high water, we're looking. Um, excellent. I, I mean, I'm so curious to see who's next in your sights. Um, and I'm sure that person is curious and fearful also. Um, maybe you'll tell me off the record. I mean, uh, yeah. like in some yeah. secret place where you're, yeah, who's next and and what plane you're getting on. Is there anything you can tell us about that? No, sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have you when you go public with it. We will have you back on Drumcast. Thank you so much, Anthony. Stand forward and talk to you soon. And that's it for today's show. We try hard to stay ahead of what people are talking about on here. So in return, can you do us one big favor? Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's an amazing way to help people find the show. But the actual best way is to tell everyone you know about it. Grab their phone and subscribe them to Trumpcast. It is the gift that keeps on giving. Our show was produced by Jason DeLeon. John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast. 